This week's Mindful Social is very special to me, talking with four amazing individuals who are involved in conscious business, emotional intelligence, community building, mindful marketing, and diversity and equity work. We touch on racial equity in today's marketing industry and take a look at some examples, both good and bad. Listen up. You don't want to miss this one. Welcome, everybody, to Mindful Social. This week, we have an amazing panel, and what we're really talking about is marketing and race and equity, and what the heck are we going to do next? And uh, I'd like to have everybody just introduce yourself real quickly. Why don't we start with you, Ellie? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Ellie Thumbuan. I'm a co-owner and head of strategy and culture at the Justice Collective. Ramon? Hello, my name is Ramon Neymar Barnes. I'm the founder of Consciously. We are a marketing agency that uh, builds marketing platforms that are conscious and inclusive, um, and also writer of the Consciously Method that we work with. And Lynn. Hi, everyone. Um, so great to be here. Thank you, Janet. Um, Lynn Abate Johnson, and um, I am a business consultant. And I work with conscious brands to build community around those brands. So I use, uh, I specialize in online tools. And because I'm an old school marketer, I strongly believe in offline um, communities as well. Thank you. And Alea. Hi, everybody. My name is Alea Harris. I'm the owner of Flourish Marketing, which is a marketing agency designed to help wedding, catering, and event professionals get and keep a consistent stream of clients. Thank you. So we're all here to talk about how we bring uh, a mindful approach to how we're dealing with race in marketing. And we've got lots of really great examples of how maybe not to do that. Um, you know, one of the ones that I think comes to mind is Starbucks' recent little debacle where they blocked people in Starbucks from wearing Black Lives Matter attire. And then when they got pushback from that, they came up with their own attire that was Black Lives Matter, which is really interesting since their whole reaction to what happened in Philadelphia was to do one day of diversity and inclusion and pretty much call it a day. So let's start with that. What did you guys, what was your impact of that? And what other examples do you have either of people doing it great or not so great? Um, I can start with that. I think that when I'm looking at brands now and when I'm talking to my, my own clients, one of the first things that I tell them is don't say anything until it comes from a genuine place. You have to develop your actual North Star messaging before you're able to go out into the world. Who are you really? Instead of just coming up with the words to say and the press release that sounds like you're fitting into the conversation, you need to align it to your values, to your heart exactly, that genuine heart-centered place. And then develop your content pillars and your content clusters um, in your strategy to align with that. If you're creating content and marketing from that 
place, then it really doesn't matter what's going on in the world because your values will be able to go throughout. So if Starbucks really truly had the values that it needed to weather whatever crises we find ourselves in or whatever movement um, we find ourselves in, they would be able to message it seamlessly. Starbucks messages feel very forced and a little bit schizophrenic, right? They're doing one thing one day and another thing the other day because they're not um, centered. And it's okay if you don't know yet. And it's okay if the current climate that we're in is helping you to realize what you need to do. You asked for an example of a brand that I feel like is doing it right. And um, I'm a big fan of Amy Porterfield. Amy Porterfield has been in the digital marketing space for 10 years plus, And she has a podcast, um, which is, is great, super helpful. But she took a hard look at herself. She's a, a white female. And she said, in the past 10 years, only 10% of my guests have been black. And she caters mostly towards females. And I think it was 3% of those have been female. And she said, I am part of the problem. And she took the time to listen, to do the work, to adjust, to have diversity people come in and talk to her talk to her team, talk on her podcast, and she has a plan that she's putting out there in the world. I have a lot more respect for her and for her approach, and I'm willing to continue with her in her new awareness journey because she did that. I would have rather Starbucks did something along those lines and said, you know what, we're not doing this right and we're learning than trying to pretend. I love that, recognizing, yes, I'm part of the problem because most of us are part of the problem in some way or another, right? Absolutely. Ellie, what do you have to say about that one? Yeah, it, thank you so much, Alea, for, for naming the authenticity piece and for just naming it's okay to admit that you don't know everything, right? Some of the, some of the work that we do is in helping leaders at every level really grapple with that, you know, and, and face what, what it actually is the pillar of white supremacy culture around perfectionism and urgency. And, you know, companies feel like they, they have to react, like, like it was stated that it feels um, schizophrenic. And so they have to come up with something. And then it's just totally wrong. And, and by then you've missed the mark so far that the impact and the damage um, has just been uh, multiplied, right? And it's so painful to watch, um, you know, but, but yeah, had, had Starbucks just said, hey, like we messed up, you know, and it's not the first time, like, like the power of coming out and just saying, we know that clearly we have a long way to go, but we're committed to going there. And, and we're committed to doing it with partners uh, that we can trust who will help show us the way. We know we're not gonna get there on our own, you know? Um, that's so powerful. And, and I, I think it, it's, it's part of our culture and, and also part of white supremacy culture to, to be more afraid of doing it wrong than doing anything at all, right? Here, here. And that's where we get that performative action, you know, where like Nike's don't do it. 
when they blacked out, you know, for Black Tuesday. And, you know, okay, I get that they were trying to be part of a message, but that's the problem. They were trying to be part of a message instead of actually trying to have real impact. It's so one, I want to echo uh, the ditto for what Alea said because authenticity is key. And I think that, but there's work that has to be done, right? So in order to even be authentic, and this, I think it cuts across race, it cuts across gender, you have to do the work in order to know who you are, right? In the first place, just not who you've performed yourself to be, not who you've been molded to be by all the people who love you and don't love you and the input and the feedback and the baggage and all those things, right? Have you ever peeled back layers to discover yourself? And this is where, this is the one time I do like to, to use the old uh, businesses are people adage, as in do what a person would do then. If you have a brand and a brand personality, well, let's talk about what your personality is, right? Let's look at it and you don't get to tell me right? You, there are people that you, there are ways you show up in the world and that is what it is. All we have to do is look at the mirror and see what it is if you want to do it. Um, we had a guy <laughs> very early on when we were doing, because we do this work a lot with our clients. We don't tell them we're doing the work anymore, honestly, um, because, and this, this example is why he said, you know, it really feels like this is brand therapy. It feels like the, the work is being done on us. And then he paused for a few and he said, we like it. And we were like, I mean, obviously at the time we needed checks, right? So let's be clear, we needed him to say we like it. But it was one of those times when the, when the light bulb went on for us. We are helping you excavate. That's what we're doing. You're doing the work, not us to start in order to get to the place Alea is even talking about of having authenticity that's tied to values. Because once we get to that place where you're a little raw, you maybe feel even a little beat down, then we can get to the values that are really there, right? We can totally go somewhere. Um, and that's when, that's the work we love doing. And honestly, you know, the second thing I'll mention is, and I think this goes to what you guys are talking about. I think the the performance culture is is only exacerbated by social, right? Like I have many friends who have called me and said, dude, I'm so glad you called. I'm, I'm depressed right now. I don't know. And literally the day before there were pictures of him gallivanting on the beach with his wife and his kid. And I'm like, dude, I would have called if I saw maybe a little something in your what you're showing people, right? But this is what we do now. It is literally part of the lexicon. It's part of this, it's part of society all over the world to front and not be who you are. And the people who get it are the ones who are showing up on social, being exactly who they are. They don't have to fake it. And I think you can see it. My, my great example is not a brand per se. I mean, obviously she probably is a brand, but it's Soledad O'Brien. And it's because she is a truth teller. She doesn't give a shit who She's doesn't awesome. like it. She doesn't really care. She's not into performance. Although you can see there's um, a lot of speaking it 
and making sure she's saying it. So I think sometimes it feels almost like performance, but when you hear her speak, it's like, oh, that's the same thing she was just saying on social. So anyways, I'd say she's my best example. I just love everything she puts out. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree about Soledad for sure. And, you know, talking more about the conscious aspect um, and really doing that inner work. Um, Lynn, I think that's definitely a great place for you to speak about doing this conscious work and, and that inner work. Yeah. I'm so convicted these days, let me tell you. As a white woman of privilege, and I used to be, and I, I'm being completely, like I, Janet knows, because I have never been so... Mm, I've never been so frank about how I feel personally publicly on social media because I used to worry about what people would think of me. One, I used to feel like, you know, I wouldn't get clients if some people didn't like what, what my stand was. And now I don't give a shit. And so now I'm showing up and you'll see some pretty, you know, like stuff on my wall that I actually have people coming in and I'm realizing people that I, I thought were pretty evolved. They're just as fucked up as I am. <laughs> and yet they haven't woken up really yet. So they're still defending and they're still trying to be like, yeah, but yeah, but, and they're justifying their positions. I'm just not. I can't. There's no justification. There's, there's only, you know, 400 plus years of, of having, of being asleep and not realizing what the hell has been happening in our world all of these years and, and how I've been culpable. And, um, and it, it sucks and it, it feels horrible. And every time I feel, cause every single day, I'm doing a 21 day challenge to, you know, like read an article or, or I take in a lot because I am on social media so much. So I've been able to tap into so much great work that's been done for all of us, but especially for us white folks. And, um, I get to, I get to learn and unlearn. And when the Starbucks thing happened, um, I have a friend in Florida and he posted, Hey everybody. Uh, and he's a black guy. And I don't know if that's even material here, but he said, Hey, you guys, when you go in, if you go to Starbucks anymore after this, when they ask for your name, tell them black lives matter so that they have to shout it out <laughs> when your order comes up. And I'm like, okay, well that's a way to add humor to the situation. So, you know, everything just is so heavy and it just feels so um, exhausting. And when I think of how tired I am at the end of any given day, I think of my black brothers and sisters who must be like, I can't even comprehend how tired they must be like at a cellular level. Right. And I'll just tell you one personal thing is um, as a white person too, is that I have nephews who I invited to come down and have some time in San Diego with us recently and they just left this morning and my sisters their mothers both said to me you know they're going on this road trip 
and I don't have to worry about them getting pulled over. I don't have to worry about worry about them getting killed or in jail or severely injured because of the color of their skin. And we're just like, I, I almost don't know what to say about that. So yeah. And, and for my company, you know, for CTI, even this morning, um, Ellie, to your point, uh, one of our co-presidents said, you know, it's such a white privilege thing to rush, to, to blurt out something, anything, fix it. Like we just want to fix it right now. And so we are not doing that as, as much as possible. We are amplifying melanated voices. We are taking a stand for Black Lives Matter and we're getting some pushback from people in our community about what is this, you know, the usual pushback, right? So we're in this whole process of learning and um, again, not caring what other people think that may be dealing with their own racist, their own racist or biased um, history and they're reacting. So we're not reacting. We're in a place of deep listening, gathering our community, especially the black friends in our community, black coaches, black leaders. Um, and we're doing a lot of consulting and assessing uh, us as a company and us as individuals. So there's a lot of that work going on. Sorry, I talk so much. Thank you. I think that's the thing, you know, that I'm seeing more and more is that there's so much reactive marketing going on. It's totally reactive because of several things. So one is, oh my God, we have to do something now. We don't know what it is. We don't know why, but we have to do something. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of that and it's, it's unconsciously biased. I mean, it's just ridiculous sometimes what people are willing to put out there um, just because they need to get on the hashtag, you know, and I think, um, in some cases, yes, that's a thought out thing. Wow, we've been really stupid. We need to do something to correct this. Um, it's also our employees are telling us that we need to make a stand, that we need to say something about the company as a whole. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not just driven by social media as much as social media is amplifying it. So, you know, I'd love to hear from you guys some perspectives on what's, what should companies that are looking at doing marketing right now, what should be setting them up? What should they be really thinking about as their next steps? And I'll leave that open to anybody. Um, I'm happy to, to start. Um, I think, it was mentioned perhaps by everyone else uh, today, but um, but the ability to take a pause and go back to the values, right? Mm. And really, really understand what are we what are we here for? What do we stand for anyway? You know, what are we what are we setting out to change the world with? How does our how does our product convey who we are? Um, and, and to go back to that authenticity and to resist the urge and to do the work, as was mentioned, to resist the urge to react for 
you know, for the purpose of, of hashtagging, but to, to do that deep listening, to do that deep, um, you know, with, with a lot of humility, just what are we here to do? Where have we missed the mark before? Um, how are our values connected to doing the right thing, even in the process of designing what the right thing is, right? Like, is the right thing um, to just do what others are doing? It may be in some cases, but until folks have that answer for themselves, um, I think that, you know, that deep understanding, you know, where even just going back to the mission and vision is, is really critical. And, and having their own language um, to communicate what they understand about themselves in connection to their role in the world, um, even taking it a bit further and looking at, you know, have we perpetuated systems of, of oppression in the past? What about our product has changed culture for good or, or for bad, you know? Um, and there's just so much, so much opportunity there, but it starts with deep listening. And, um, and with building that, that emotional intelligence of understanding when they're reacting versus, um, versus something else. One thing that most folks don't know with implicit bias is that the number one time people are most vulnerable to making a bias-based decision is when they are unaware of their own emotional state. Mm which can be influenced by stress, can be influenced by the argument you just had with your partner, <laughs> can be influenced by hunger, you know, just really innocent things, right? But until you build the mindfulness to really understand, like, where am I sitting today? Um, how am I really feeling? And, and develop a language for that. Um, you can't listen with integrity. Right right like you can't be there for someone with integrity and like really be open to it so um you know when I first learned that I was very surprised um but it's it's been one of the most profound things I've ever learned about this work that's really so important and you know it's something I teach all of my clients before you open your mouth take a damn breath just yeah. one breath you know to just Get in check with yourself. Where am I right now? Am I triggered by, you know, the cat climbing on me or whatever it is? Um, you know, and we, we don't think about that and we don't think about how it affects our bias um, and how that carries with it. You know, mm -hmm. if we've just had an argument with our partner and then we make a decision and that attaches to the brand or the person, that we then made that decision by. And from now on, I can't stand that particular type of cracker because we had a fight and it tasted bad. Stupid example, but it's the best I could come up with in the moment. But it really is pretty, pretty accurate. And, and Ramon, I think, you know, that's when you were speaking about how you are helping your clients to actually learn and even when they didn't ask, when it's really like, look, you know, this is what conscious business looks like. I think that's something that's really important. If we can help people through helping them see themselves through a different mirror, 
Well, part of it is, well, I mean, part of this for us was we had to check our own ego. Like, why do we feel like we have to teach them and they have to acknowledge they're doing this work and, and all this stuff, right? Like, that's us. They don't need to know. They don't even call themselves conscious. They don't need to do all, do all these things. That's what we're kind of putting on them. Mm. All we care is that they're doing, we can see they're doing the work. And that's all you can really ask of somebody. And, you know, part of that is, you know, for, for us, it's like, don't get me wrong. We, so we are, I should mention, I'm uh, African-American, our woman partner is African-American and the other male partner, he's South African, African-American. And so there was a little bit of, no, nah, these white people need to know the work, right? Like, don't get me wrong. It, it, it cuts both ways for sure. We all know that. But once we got over that piece and decided we want to help people do the work regardless what, so what we usually do and how we usually approach this, because again, I love what you guys say about like going back to values and language specifically, and then being able to show up in a space requires practice, right? Of building those muscles. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Elena, but your husband speaks about race for a living, right? Or something to that effect. Yes, he's a, he's a college professor and he um, is doing, currently working on his dissertation about representation in the education system for black males and how it affects their educational outlook. I remember reading like something and I was like, yes, like I, I brought that up specifically to say, most people can't speak about their feelings let alone about their feelings about other their feelings about their feelings about other people like come on you're asking a lot of somebody mm. number one if they forget doing the work just how do you even have the conversations so what we do is kind of try to skip that a little bit and in regards to like how do we engage an actual company to do the work we say we try to do two things and they're just every day every company we work with kind of knows they need to have a purpose like i feel like any company so. trying to be woke, that's trying to be on the right path knows they need to have a purpose beyond making money, right? So we kind of roll with that and say, we don't think you need a purpose for these purposes. You need a practical purpose. And so there's a company called, there's a marketing company called Seer. I use as a great example, Seer Interactive, S-E-E-R, Interactive. They have a policy. I mentioned this because they're not a conscious company. They don't claim to be. They don't want to be. Uh, well, recently they talked about it, but they were just doing great work, but they had a policy that you had to volunteer. And it was just because the, the founder decided however many years ago, he left work to be a volunteer. Um, he was trying to volunteer at his job and his boss wouldn't let him and he decided to leave that job. So he made it so that everybody there has to give a certain amount of volunteer hours or something to that effect, right? He encourages this. And because of that, and they have to, they're in Philly and they have to volunteer in the neighborhood, right? Somewhere that is close, that is uh, close to the business and dear to their heart. And because of that, they have to practice. They have to be in touch with who they are at some level because generally they're not volunteering with people that look like them. Um, and that means you, you're, you're figuring out who you are. And, and I personally think Having a practical purpose like that, just meaning how does your, how can you communicate to your employees, your partners, whoever works with you, how do you have this show up every day in your work? Not what does it mean to have a purpose? We want to 
help the world and we want the city to do this. No, 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 no. Mm. do people, you know, human beings, activate your purpose as a business if it's beyond making money every day in their life? If you can get someone to do that, well, you're halfway there because your business is made up of people. And the other way we get people to do that, if you, when you want to sit down and listen as a company and you want to say, okay, what do we do? We know we need to do some work. How do we involve our employees? Because we take the same, uh, we take something that's similar, which is your vision. And we say, we don't want you to have a vision anymore. We want you to have a shared vision. What does that look like as a company? Go to your employees and ask them what they think about the vision statement, if it was their vision statement and how they would rewrite it. If me as a black man, I have to be able to look at your vision and say, in a world where there's actual equity, in a world where I'm doing just as good as everybody else, can your vision exist? If it can't, well then, I'm already looking for another job even if I don't know I am. <laughs> I already know I can't exist here in the future. Right? Yeah. I know that that's the case. The same if I'm a woman, the same if I'm trans, the same if anything. If I can't place myself in your vision of the world, or if your vision of the world does nothing to the world or for the world, if I picture it, well then it's not a great vision in the first place, right? Like. Think about those two things. To stop looking outward is, is the real point, right? Like, if you have everybody volunteer, the world will be affected. If you have a great picture of the world, you're moving towards the world to be affected. But it all starts looking inward. It's not about, I mean, great. Tell, tell everybody you're working on a new practical purpose. Tell everybody you're working on a vision and then follow through if, that, if you just need to post it. But talk about what you're going to do, I say. But that really comes down to humanity. You know, there's, there's so many common things that we could all just be doing and being mm. regular good people with a conscience, with respect, with love. And to Lynn's point, to listening. Jeez, if we could just listen more and take that pause and allow what comes to come. And really, if we left it up to our employees to decide, am I going to stay with this company or am I going to leave because I'm not feeling fulfilled here? I'm not feeling that the people that I work with are getting respected. It's, it's so cut and dried and so simple. And I think one of the things that really challenges me and why I wanted to bring a panel like this together was working with some of the companies that I've worked with and no longer do, by the way, really made me question why I was doing what I was doing, because I was marketing for things that I didn't believe in and or didn't support the way that I want to live my life. And I think that those decisions are being made more now, um, not maybe not because of BLM, but because of everything and people are starting to wake up to some level of consciousness. Um, I, one of the things that, based off of what you're saying and you, uh, Ramon, th it's the tangible things because the problem, once a problem leaves your heart or your mind, it manifests itself into the world. So you using words to change the world is one step, but unless you take the action, it doesn't matter because the issues are systemic. So racism is systemic. It started off in the hearts and minds of particularly hateful people, 
And then they got into positions of power and wrote laws and policies that solidified their perspective into the everyday lives of human beings. And until we are able to understand, be aware, like you, you, I think all of us have been saying, right, be aware of what's been happening and take that learning into how we write our own company's policies and procedures, we're not going to make large scale change. So the volunteerism aspect, I adore. I think that's amazing as a way to take something tangible, but then look at your hiring practices. Is it a requirement that you have a wider pool of people to choose from, right? I'm not saying that you set quotas or percentages, but your people will look like who you're hiring from. I was having a conversation before about tokenism and tokenism basically like, oh crap, we don't have any black people. Anybody know a black person? Get something, the one black person you know on the phone. Let's call them up and see if they're available at, la at the last minute. Is what it always feels like, right? Tokenism happens because your entire pool is not diverse and you're having to go outside of that pool to bring someone in. That is a symptom of you not having the policies and the procedures and the practices in place in your business, in your marketing, in your messaging, in your way of living that would make not having, not having tokenism a reality, right? So when we're when i love that everyone is learning i love the great awakening that's happening i love the shedding of white fragility that i'm saying i'm loving the vulnerability and the 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 joining of the party right new allies i'm i'm a big fan of new allies and i welcome you take the time learn grow digest but it can't stop there and it can't stop with the new cycle changing your next step you ask what are the what are the steps learn yes align with your values yes then look at the documents in your business. So well, I always think about it like this. If you are gonna go sell your business, you sell basically bunches of paper and words on paper is what you're selling. If somebody took all of your business, all of the words on paper that made up your business and were to implement it exactly like that, would it be inclusive and diverse? based off of the words that you've written on the paper, based off of the processes that you've included, whether it includes even your content pillars. One of, I had to read, I'm a black female. I had to adjust my own content pillars. I took being a black female for granted because I just was posting about, you know, me living my life and it was kind of like, kind of counted, right? I'm black, I post pictures of myself, so good to go, right? No, it's not good to go. I, I had to do my own research and, I chose to have the content pillars purposely not talk about history of oppression, but the history of black celebration and celebrating black culture and what it means to be descended from kings and queens and what we should celebrate as uplifting parts of our pillars of our community now. I had to write that into my content strategy. If you were gonna take Flourish Marketing to, uh, and I sold it to you, that would be the content strategy you would have bought. And that's what it means to talk about uh, culture and marketing and weddings as flourish marketing. We show everything. So that's the next step. That's how we actually move forward and don't have this just be, you know, civil rights movement 2.0. Um, because, you know, we have people like Angela Davis that are just like, geez, I'm holding up this fist again. Like she's doing it again, all 
over again. And until we're able to break that cycle, um, we are going to continually uh, perpetuate the mindsets that got us to this place and we won't ever make any change. One of the last comments I'll make in this little section of my, of my talk is, this is the first time as a black female I've actually been hopeful for our society. Um, and up until this point, I've been like, well, just gonna power through, gonna make it, I'm gonna be the best, I'm gonna be the brightest, I'm gonna be 10 times better because I have to be, right? That's what, you know, every black kid hears, right? And so that's what I did. Now is the time when I actually feel like people are seeing me for my humanness and I don't have to defend that I'm a human in your eyes. I don't have to explain to you about my hair or why I'm lighter or darker than my mom and dad and what that, why that matters to your existence as using whiteness as a foundation for my own humanity. I don't feel like I will have to do that as much anymore. And I want that conversation to continue. So when I walk into a room, your reaction to my blackness is not as profound. You're reacting to, oh, that's Leia Harris. She's a kick-ass speaker. Her marketing company rocks. And I know that she can help me because she's worked her little watutsi off to get to where she is. That's the conversation that I'm actually hopeful can continue. Up until this point, I had just said, you know, my entire industry, why would they listen to me about being black? They don't even really care. The organizations that I'm a part of within the industry, um, I, on like national kind of committee levels, they're 87% um, white female. <laughs> or 70% white female. And I was like, well, I'm definitely in the minority. Why would they listen? And now they're reaching out to me and joining the conversation. So if you want to keep my hope alive, actually do something systemic in, in your business. That's my request. All right, everybody unmute yourself and just give her an amen. Yeah, <laughs> actual, factual, practical, tactical. I love it. I want to interrupt you so many times, like, yes. I know. Yes, yes me, whatever you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I knew coming in here, I was like, what the hell? Why? I'm white. And I, I knew I was going to learn so much more than I even brought. And once again, I just love, Alea, how you, um, because for me, I'm so interested in educating myself, first and foremost, and doing this work internally. And then also, it shows up in the work that I do in community building, because I feel really strongly that a lot of the systemic racism and the issues that the public is is dealing with and grappling with the white people especially is that they don't know they've never bothered to learn our history like bottom line this is okay i'm not gonna swear this is history <laughs> too late honey <laughs> i'm so like I, that I ship has sailed we've all sworn a little bit on this call I'm such a bad right. body mouth but you know it is history it is necessary we need to learn it we need to explore it as, as painful, I'm an empath. And so I just, I tend to like take everything in. And my husband's saying, God, like you're so heavy every night. It's like, so like you're frowning all the time and I'm and curling my brow and like, I know, but I, it's, this is real. This is real. And we have these, you know, our friends and our, and our fellow humans are, they've been dealing with it for hundreds of years. And so 
yes to everything every single one of you have just said thank you so much because um it it is the action and once you once you know you can't unknow right it's like um one of my clients used to quote biggie all the time and, and said if you didn't know now you know is that right <laughs> yes <laughs> you don't know now you know <laughs> if you don't know now you know and it's like stop hiding and so for brands, you know, Janet, you were asking about, you know, what brands can do. I think brands have a responsibility, especially really white brands like ours is and has been uh, systemically and it's changing gradually. And uh, anyway, we won't get into that, but it's to help educate our communities and put messages out there that help to constructively educate and yes, celebrate. I love Alea, how you you align with celebration and the the celebratory um, history of the culture. It's just so rich. It's what I've always felt as a white person, but I couldn't really couldn't really identify with it, right? And I could never really understand it. However, I don't feel it's necessary to understand it to embrace it and and stand with it like a, a girlfriend of mine from Texas, Louisa, she's always saying, who's standing in the gap with me? And I'm like, girlfriend, I am. I'm with you every single day. And this is the long haul. Nobody that I know is willing to stop this train. It's going and it's staying on track. And that's what I think is important for brands to be conscious of right now is that, uh, yeah, stay in the uncomfortableness of it right now or or be in the learning of it and formulate, like you said, Alea, it's just like the words, like I know, and we know as a company, so many microaggressions, right? That we either kind of knew it, and I've only been with the company a couple of years and it's a 26 year old company, but um, they, some of them are so unconscious that now it's like digging into even the coursework, even like what we're presenting in our leadership and coaching curriculum has to be examined word for word. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we can say that across the board with messaging, whether it's in an ad or yeah. it's in a mission statement or a strategy or any of those things, you know, we really need to be looking at, the little microaggressions that we've put into our marketing, the things that we say that are completely ignorant. And, you know, I think at some point it's about having more voices, you know, like, like you said, with having more people engaged in what is our mission? What is our strategy? And does the entire team have input on that? Because some people are going to look at it and go, wow, okay, that's just not cool, you know, or you don't realize that what you just said is limiting a group of people. And so we need to have the team, the internal group, the company look at it besides the white board of directors and really take a look at how we're saying things and start to recognize the times that we are not representing as our true human self. And I love the idea of thinking of, you know, companies as humans 
Because if we uh -huh. think of them as living, breathing things, we may take a very different approach to the things that that living, breathing thing says. Yeah, and also as, as, as humans really need to do more, I think, is that we need to cop to our, cop to our part in it, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I'm using the word culpability so much because of feeling convicted myself. And also when our company, you know, gets attacked here and there on social media, um, I'm like, bring it. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> we see you and we cop to our culpability in all of this. Yeah. So, so much needs to change. And it's one company, one business, one mission and value, you know, vision statement at a time. And I know it can be done. And I also have hope, as Alea was saying, I also have hope. Um, and I'm an optimistic realist. So I know we're going to mess up. I know uh, it's just it's so ingrained. Yeah, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And we need to cop to it when it does happen and so. stop stop with excuses and stop with justifying and I and be I stronger Go ahead. yeah just be stronger like I feel for me personally I'm I'm getting more mouthy and more and more strong like I was supposed to be this way before but I was too afraid and now I'm not afraid so I really appreciate that I'm being drawn out more to um to speak about the things that are really important to me. And it has nothing to do with politics and religion. It has everything to do with being a human being and treating people properly at, like fellow human beings. Lynn, what you're describing is what we like to call building resiliency to discomfort, mm, right? Okay. Like, like, and there's work in that right yeah like how how to listen how to come up with language like it's gonna feel uncomfortable in the beginning yeah and it won't be the last time and you have to commit to keep feeling uncomfortable and uncomfortable and uncomfortable and to build like like you said uh ramon the the muscles right like the, this yeah. is a muscle um and then i also yeah. wanted to lift up uh one of the essences of what Alea was saying about, you know, in, in our work, I find all these, you know, we are inundated with companies that are just dying to get the training, right? Like we just need the DNI training. We just need the DEI training. Um, and I know like they want that come to Jesus moment of feeling good, looking over, seeing their black friends smile at them, feeling the hopefulness, and when it comes down to it, that is, that is part of the real work, absolutely. But everything else that Alea said about looking at those policies and doing the unsexy work of what, what words are we describing in the strategy? What assumptions have been built into the strategy all the way from the goals and the business planning to the employee handbook to the vendor you know, diversification plan, if there is one, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff people hate to spend time doing. They do not want to spend time doing that, but they have to. Mm -hmm. Because as she said, it's exactly 
part of the work and it matters so much more than people think it does. Mm. Thank you for lifting that up, Alea. Oh, thank you. I think that that is, is incredibly important. And I love what, what you, uh, Ellie and Lynn, are, are talking about is, you know, being a little bit more brave, not being so fragile, not getting so offended, not being afraid to make a mistake, not being afraid to be called out, not being afraid to basically understand what black people go through on a daily basis, right? When when I step into a room, in, in mostly all white room, those things are now on autopilot. You guys are now learning it. And I had black parents be like, okay, well, you know, do this, don't just do that, say this, don't say that this is how you now conform to the white majority. Oh, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's super exhausting. But that I had to do that to survive and thrive. You guys are now coming in and telling, being told that the white majority way of doing things um, actually is oppressive. And something that you've, the way you've been operating in good faith without thinking, you're being told that you're operating in a system that is literally squishing the souls of your fellow countrymen, right? Country people. And that's rough, but suck it up. When that's you um, are now aware of that, what I don't want people, especially white people, new allies to do is to then fall into a place of judgment and blame of themselves because that's a place of immobility. Mm-hmm. If you fall into a place of guilt and shame and doubt, you can, I can understand a quick way of being there, but you either stay there because you're, you are weak and you are choosing not to be strong or you're staying mm-hmm. there because you're using it as an excuse to not do mm-hmm. the work. Mm-hmm. So when you stay in that judgy place, you're not helping anyone, including yourself. Right. Just be aware. Say, yes, I am part of this system. Yes, I have propagated the myths um, about blackness. And what I've understood as a stereotype was so far off from center. And I ha- don't have any real relationships with black people. All of that is a true statement. Now, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. And take that, oh, but you have to protect my way of life to the side and realize that you're actually not giving anything up. Mm-hmm. You would never be able to grow stronger in any area of your life if you stayed inside of your comfort zone. When you step outside of your comfort zone, that's when you end up being able to be big and to grow. If God came to you and you had a flower in your hand and you're like, I love this flower. I don't want to give this flower up. And you didn't realize that he was trying to give you a whole garden, but you, all you had to do was open your hand. That's the situation you're in now. White people I've heard kind of like a lack mentality. Well, I'll have to give up basically my white supremacy in society. And when I let you folks into the party, that's not how this works. When you invite everyone in, everyone comes together and the society is better. Everyone is better. It's not about I will have to give something up so you can have some of my pie. It's about, no, now we have all the pies and all the land, let's eat. Yes. And if, we're, if, you're, if you're just able to get over your hurt feelings, you can experience the abundance that's waiting for us as a society, but you have to push through that. And I appreciate what you were saying um, Ellie and Lynn about that is a real thing. And it, and I recognize it, but black people have had to deal with it for so long. You are now dealing with it. Welcome deal. Let's move on. Yeah. That's what I love about 
this Here collection of people because you guys are all very aware and conscious people. And, you know, I think one of the things that has really been difficult for me is that immediately people have polarized and started attacking people who they feel aren't doing things the correct way. And it isn't black people attacking white people and white people attacking black people. It's everybody attacking each other for not doing what this person sees as next in, you know, the thing that they're supposed to do. And that polarization is not helping us. But when we can come together as human beings and see each other as humans rather than color or race or gender or any of those other things, if we could just relate to each other as human beings with compassion and love and openness and stop feeling so attacked and needing to defend ourselves, this would be so much easier. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I really want to, there's two things. One, I love what you were talking about and, and Alea and okay, everybody, amen to everybody, first of all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just too much good stuff to, to, to ditto and to amen. Um, but Lynn, something you mentioned and Alea, you brought it in and Ellie, you also brought it in was the being able to identify with the culture and, and um, not feeling like you could in all, and, different ways at times, you know, however that manifests itself at the time. And that's the one that always sticks out to me from my Caucasian friends in particular because of my upbringing. So my, both of my parents were Black Panthers, both of them. And so it's very difficult to grow up in the world and not think you have worth if, as a Black person if both your parents were Black Panthers, right? But it also means there's a certain amount you learn about black history. And there's also a certain amount of, uh, I guess we'll just call it uh, forthrightness you have with all of your Caucasian friends. That isn't always to their liking. I'm saying all that to preface and say, what Alea mentioned about things being systemic has both an action side, which she talked about, we have to rewrite there's another side to that, system, that uh, systemic problem is, is erasure, right? There's so much blackness around you that you already identify with blackness. I always talk from an American standpoint, if you've, the first thing I would do is make sure, make sure you check out the 1619 Project. It is the easiest and most accessible way I would imagine most of us have, but it's the easiest, I think the easiest and most accessible way to find out, oh, wait, I do identify with black culture? Oh, wait, there are things that are here. Like if, you, if you're Jif, if you're a peanut butter company and you haven't done anything over however long your company is on uh, uh, Carter, or sorry, I forget the black man who invented um, like- George Washington Carver. Thank you, thank you. It's like, it's already there for you. You don't have to go searching. You don't have to figure it out. All you had to do is hire an intern and say, is there anything in our industry that black people have contributed to? And there's so many people in so many ways that you can look that stuff up now. There's so many black universities who've already done this work, who have the treasure troves of information for you. You don't have to search far. But I say that to say, I truly believe that if people in your company if people as people 
knew that and really truly felt that black people are their people already. You just don't know it. All you're doing the work to do is find, oh, we're related. Oh, well, whose cousin's mother was we? Oh, okay, okay, good, okay, cool. If you look at it more in that way, it's, it becomes easier. You're not having to jump over a barrier. You're not, we, from, you know, in my house, it was said a little bit differently. Black culture is American culture, period. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the food, literally the people who are planting that food and made the food a certain way that is American food, that's not Italian or any, any other culture, that is American food. The music, the dress, come on, son. I don't have to go through it with you guys. You guys know. But it's one of those things where it's like, all we have to really do is acknowledge what is already there and make sure we're doing the excavation on the country to go, oh, I think Jim Beam actually did this, where they started going, oh, you mean the, the black guy who was the hand for Jim Beam made the whiskey, not him? Okay, and then they started- It was to- Jack, um, Uncle Nearest. I just, I just bought a bottle, That's, I'm a big whiskey person. Is, is she was the one who who really developed the bourbon method and is the whiskey's delicious amount. Do your job. I mean, if you can lean into it in that way, I have seen Uncle Nearest in every feed of my like lately. I had to literally go look and go, oh, okay, work. They're like, thank you. And it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, we are all um, responsible guests, but while there are people that have to do the research and write the policies and do all the work that is not sexy, there's a whole lot of sexy to be had too, is my right. We, and, and they don't have to be divorced from each other. It's all there just waiting for us. And I think the more we can do this, we can all be in the room with each other and commune and just talk about it. Well, everyone will be all right and everyone will be uh, better for it, I think. <laughs> Janet. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so much, so much, yes. So plus one to American history is Black history is American. America would not be here without Black history, without all of that culture, all culture. <laughs> in America. (laughs) And yes, I think every brand can stand to learn something about history and be able to enrich their story with those layers of absolutely sexy, joyful, innovative. I mean, it doesn't stop. There is no, there is no end to that. What I was, um, what I was thinking of when I, when I put that in the chat was, um, was something that Alea said around, um, it's essentially the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats, right? And so I named that like, um, in being multiracial, um, you know, with Asian Americans and APIs, the model minority myth was invented to divide us. Right. For us to think that we're better than African-Americans and and our our ability or inability to see that if if black civil rights leaders had not put into place 
the immigration policy, we wouldn't even be here. But that is not taught in American history at all. If Black feminist women had not created policies that allow all other queer um, privileges that I enjoy here today, I, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't exist here, right? And yet that is not taught with, with the elevated voice. So yes to learning basic history, it would be so easy, but it is not part of the American lexicon, right? And so changing narratives, I think could be, if uh, companies that are able to do that and brands that are able to say, we just learned about this, guess what? Like that would make their story so much more powerful as well as change culture. Um, and, you know, you're just building new followers and new, 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 you're converting people along the way. Um, but part of what, you know, uh, what Alea brought up for me was that there is something I think that people are waking up to that non-Black folks don't have to feel like we're giving up anything by learning any of this, it is a gift to learn all of this. Um, and once folks can lean into that and move past the discomfort, yes, there is a whole world of, of work, but there's also a whole world of liberation. Like anyone with any oppressed identity, a, a, a piece of it stands to win with that. Um, and there's no way for that not to feel good. That's a whole other, it could be a whole other podcast, but thank yeah. you for letting me say that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I think, it, again, it comes down to let's just be human with each other. And the education aspect of it, you know, I grew up a white girl in Wisconsin and, you know, I'm in California partly because I love the diversity here and I love seeing other cultures and I love being gay and being able to be who I am when I go out in public and not worry about it. But I still didn't know so much. And we have to change that. And I think, yes, it would be fabulous if marketers would say, wow, you know, once a month, even if you pick a damn day and say, I'm once a month, we're going to say something we learned about equity, it would be amazing because we're so oblivious and we're purposefully oblivious because it hurts to be vulnerable. But once you get vulnerable and you realize that it makes other people be able to be vulnerable too, and you have these amazing conversations and you feel like you really belong to something. And that's a beautiful thing. So fucking mm -hmm. step up. Mm -hmm. It's time. That's my lecture. <laughs> what I love about what both of you have just said is um, what keeps resonating for me is freedom. And not just freedom like as a concept, um, freedom as like a release of a release of any restrictions on people being exactly who they are in this moment. And then in the next moment and the next moment is because that allows for all of us, the more of us who are free, the more of us who are free. I feel that way. And freedom's always been a core value of mine next to love. And I just don't, 
uh, I don't see it being any other way anymore from now mm. on. Mm. So the, the more freedom we have, the more freedom we all have. And, um, and I love, was it you, Ramon, that said um, uh, something about the food and the culture and the, like, oh my God, because I'm a total foodie. And like, it's just such a more delicious, like, and Janet, I know, I, I know Janet's a foodie too. And it's just so much more delicious when you can get into these communities, you know, with everybody included and bringing their recipes and, you know, I just, oh, it's, There's it's just, just so much so richness. Yeah. 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 Totally. I'm very appreciative for being on this call because I think that we've touched on a lot of things that I don't hear a lot in the current conversation, um, which is nice to be adding a new perspective often in types of these types of conversations where, like we've said, everyone feels like they need to have a response. They start parroting and they stop thinking. So I appreciate this group for still offering original thought in, into the conversation. As, as a marketer, that is what we do. That's part of our jobs is to offer our clients um, a way to position themselves in the market and position themselves with them first and with their own authenticity and originality. So I encourage you to use that same skill, listeners out there, you use that same skill inside of racial conversation. You were building stories before. You were doing brand therapy sessions before, regardless if they were about um, race or not. And now is the time to just apply those same skills. Don't be afraid. Don't get imposter syndrome and feel like you are not qualified because you're white, you're Asian, you're Latinx. Whatever it is, you are a marketer. And I love being a marketer because it's been able to, it's a, it's a transferable skill no matter what we're talking about. You would have done the research before. You would have had the conversations before. You would have done hashtag research. You would have dug into SEO. You, you would have done all those things before. You did it with COVID. That was a crisis. You figured out that messaging. Why, why is this different? It's just another thing to research, learn, develop, and help your clients through. Don't shy away from the conversations because you feel underqualified. Just approach it in, through the same systematic kind of marketing scientific method, at least that, that I use um, in my business. And, and when you fall, know that it's okay because we all are going to fall in this conversation. I'm a black female and I've fallen in this conversation. Imagine that. So th those, are, those are my final words, is to, to go with what you know and just keep, just keep going. Yes. Um, I think yes. <laughs> um, I can't even help it. I think, I think what I want to end with is, um, I definitely want to go a little bit heavy, honestly, and say, honestly, marketers are responsible and culpable. I have not seen images of myself until very recently. The, the one thing I've been saying to my friends um, about 45 being in office is that it has really focused the arts community 
So right now, I'm seeing a lot of faces that look like me, that resemble me. I am able to look at a um, person of any background, specifically who's still black. That wasn't even possible before. There were like five people I had to force myself into. If I wasn't an athlete, you know, if I wasn't Urkel, and I wasn't, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, I don't even have to go through all the names. We're not going to do that. But I don't have to force myself. I, for the first time, I saw myself in a trans person. I've never been able to do that. I never, I've never had the thought to either, right? That's my own work. But the first time I could, that's, that's all boats. That's Ellie. That's all boats are getting risen, right? All boats are, are, are raising right now. They're all um, getting better where all of our lives are getting better on that. And marketers, because of that, have almost the most responsibility in a society that, is, that uses capitalism as its most powerful tool. When we know that the goal is for us all to be consumers and we all consume in our own ways, whether conscious or not, well, Marketers have a lot of responsibility at that point, and they always have. And if they had fought harder, honestly, over the years, while they were actually picking and plucking all the black culture and all the things that it means to be black and then converting it into dollars, well, then we might not be as far down this road as we are now. So I want to call out marketers, you know, who we are. We all have responsibility, and I also just want to make sure I'm throwing out there us men have done the same thing to women and we have all done this same thing to each other. So we're being clear and it's not like all finger pointing. So that means we have an opportunity now to say, let's get to work. Let's work with each other and, and make it happen. And cause we also get to have fun when we do it. Unlike other people, I'm not in HR. I'm not in finance, thankfully. So I get to have fun while I'm making things better. And that's why I'm still a marketer today. Let's, let's get it right. Um, lastly, I just want to say being on a call with all of you has been lovely. It has been amazing. Um, these conversations are honestly not so fun. And I've had a lot of unfun conversations lately. This is the first time I've been on a conversation since all this started where I did not have to remember I was black. I did not have to remember my position in my company or not in my company or whatever it is, right? I didn't have to think about a lot other than just show up, be me, and have a great conversation. So I wanted to make sure I called that out and said thank you. It's awesome. Thank it's you. And thank you all. This has been a really great conversation. And exactly what I was looking for was to get some heart-centered talk going and not have it be all static and people figuring out exactly what they had to say to get their position across to their boss or whatever. I've, I've had some really bad conversations as well. And uh, oh, thank you guys. I really appreciate it so much. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at JanetFouts.com. And please send me feedback there too, or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, 
And do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.